Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Greenbar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Greenbar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Billiken win! Billiken win! Now from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. Well, good to be along with you. Happy Father's Day to everyone. I am back in the studio. It's my first time in this building since June, I don't know when, 3rd, I think. Last when year. I before the Na- <laughs> before the NASCAR race, I stopped by and uh, dropped something off and picked something up and then went to the track and then headed to Italy on that Monday morning for a nice vacation. So good to be back. And I got two pieces of mail. That's it. That tells you where we are today. I got about 5,000 emails, but two pieces of mail. One of them is Ball Watching, a St. Louis City SC podcast. They sent me a nice glass. Here, Drew. There you go. Uh, That's for you. Me, yeah, I'm, I'm re-gifting. Here, take that. <laughs> That's for you, buddy. We had one last week. So. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, there you go. That That is fantastic. Yeah, I want you to have that. Uh, that is uh, That's fantastic. I love that. Um Second piece is Goners is the cover of Cardinals magazine. So I'll tell you, the Cardinals, <laughs> what the heck happened? I mean, it just continued while I was gone. I did pay attention to everything. I read everything. I didn't get to watch or listen to games necessarily, but I did read up on everything every single day, every game, and it is tough to handle. Uh, and I do feel for Cardinals fans having to deal with that. And, you know, they're just great fans. They're great, great fans. They, they, and they're great fans drew because of number one on the list. Number one, they love baseball. That's what comes first with Cardinals fans. They love the game. So they appreciate good baseball. They appreciate winning baseball and they appreciate when the Cardinals are good. And the Cardinals right now are not good. And they, uh, you know, but, but fans come in at every level. They come, they might have come in yesterday. That could have been their first game and saw the team win 5 3. And so they're 1 0. Uh, they could have come in 20 years ago when the Cardinals went on a remarkable run. Actually, before that, really in 2000, the, the Bill DeWitt era, the Cardinals had one losing season. That was 2007. Otherwise, they've been. Fantastic. And John Mosellock's never had a losing season. They might've come in in 1980, like me, 
You know, I came in in the, in the early 80s and got to see great baseball. So I did, was not there for the 70s as a kid. I was born in 75. So I got to see great baseball in the 80s. And then a bit of a dip in the 90s. And then back with this resurgent 2000 until the present day. They might have come in in 1960 and witnessed an incredible run in the 60s, the greatest Cardinals team of all time in 67. And, you know, the 64 amazing team in 68, who, who was equally as good as 67 and, and all of those great years. My point is Cardinals fans come in and out at all moments. And it is an incredible group of people of all uh, backgrounds and shapes and sizes and ages. And, and it is very, very special to be part of. And so that is why sometimes it's hard because they're very passionate when things don't go well. And you just have to ride the wave if you're a Cardinals fan. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it isn't so much fun. But know that the seasons do come and go quickly. Hopefully the Cardinals can rally here in what is a very much a subpar division, but it's going to be very difficult for them to do. I mean, just, you know, just to put it out bluntly. Uh, and then you try to figure out what's next for the team. What's next in the immediate future is a 1240 start today against the Mets. And you just continue on in that way. And then you, you have to figure out why did this go wrong? What went wrong? Why didn't they address this or that? Why didn't this happen? and try to make it better. But, you know, the, the standards are very high around here. And the Cardinals are number one on the list in making it so. They have established this themselves. This is the place where championships are won. They've won 11 world championships. They're going after a 12th. So there, there is nothing other than if Cardinals fans are upset, it's for one reason and one reason only. We win championships here. And... The Cardinals are trying to win a 12th. That's the pursuit each and every year. It is not easy to do, um, and it's understandable when they get close. Right now, they are not close, and so fans are rightfully passionate and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Totally understand that. All right. The other thing I want to talk about real quick is, before we get to Ollie Marmel, the Cardinals manager, is Father's Day. Father's Day is a very special day for us dads. Uh, sitting there and looking at my kids this morning and, and knowing that I have, uh, that we have two girls age 16 and 12 who are doing so well and, and healthy. And I just, uh, you know, love every second that I'm there with them. I'm very appreciative of that. I, I think every single day about my dad. Uh, I lost my dad almost 30 years ago. And, you know, grieving is love. Uh, you it, it it never stops. You don't stop grieving a loss. It's because you love, and it comes in different levels uh, at different levels. You know the level that I'm at right now is that I'm approaching the age that my, uh, my dad was 54 when when I lost him, and I'm going to be 48 next month. So I start to reflect on fatherhood and making sure that I'm there for my girls and doing what he taught me. So that's what I think about on this Father's Day is how fortunate I am to have had a great relationship with my father and that he did such a great job raising me. I lost him, unfortunately, to a heart attack when I was almost 18. And that said, the lessons that were taught in those 18 years built me to who I am, uh, along with my mom and family and friends and all the people that have been around me. But my dad played such a huge, huge part in my life and still does. 
Like here I am, you know, 30 years later and he still is part of my life. So just know dads out there and sons and daughters, how much of an impact that you have on another human and uh, the important role that you play from birth uh, all the way through uh, on that person. So that's an important thing to remember, I think, for all of us on this Father's Day is the roles that we play in each other's lives and the patience that we give each other and the grace that we give each other and the support that we give each other and knowing when to cheer and when to push and, and all of those things that, that happen. It's, a, it's an amazing job. It's a great job. Uh, and when it's all said and done, I, I, I agree with what Vin Scully said years ago that he said, I want to be remembered not as a broadcaster, but as a dad and a husband. And I think those are wise words from one of the greatest ever. And we're going to hear from another one of the greatest ever, and that's Jack Buck coming up on this show, his tribute to baseball and to fatherhood. That, of course, is played every year on Father's Day on this radio station. We will do that on this very show, Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX, sponsored by Graybar. Uh, we have Ali Marmel, the Cardinals manager, standing by from New York, the Cardinals and the Mets. We have Dan Reardon watching the U.S. Open, Los Angeles Country Club. We have Lutz Fannensteel, sporting director, St. Louis City SC. We have John Mosaloc, the president of baseball operations of the St. Louis Cardinals. We have Cardinal pregame at 1145. We'll get to it right after this. Welcome back to the Gray Bar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Gray Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Billikens win! Billikens win! Once again, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. It's good to be back in the studio and good to be back with Cardinals manager Oliver Marmel. Joins us every Sunday at this time. Good morning, Ollie. How we doing? Uh, doing well. I want to keep this uh, somewhat brief because I know that we're getting close to game time. So I really appreciate when you do this on the East Coast. Uh, it It is much appreciated. So let me throw oh, that no out worries. there. Yeah. No worries at all, man. How are you? I'm doing great. First and foremost, I wanted to say that. Secondly, I wanted to say Happy Father's Day. You are a great dad. And I, I don't spend time with you at, at outside of baseball, but I know this for fact because I can hear it in your voice and I hear it when you talk about your family. Happy Father's Day, Ollie. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, they'll be able to meet me here in Washington, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. Did you, get, did you ever get to Little Mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did. You did? Yes, okay. I did. That was that that was the off day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the off day after that long long it was like 19 games in 19 days or something <laughs> like that. Uh how was that? Tell me about that. <laughs> it was actually pretty good. The 3-year-old and the 5-year-old sat through the whole thing, enjoyed it. Um they've watched the the old one, so being able to see the new one, they were looking forward to it. So I'm glad uh we were able to line that up for them on an off day, but uh no, the family enjoyed it, man. That's awesome. Taking kids to the movies, taking kids at that age anywhere, you've got to be ready for anything, don't you? And it is so satisfying when they're happy. No doubt. But the, these little ones are uh, a little different in the sense of they're on the on our schedule, big league schedule. They go to sleep at midnight, wake up at ten, and um, they're uh, they're out and about quite a bit. So they're they're used to the the just nonsense and they're always going. So it's been fun. Wow. Yeah. That's something. Do you, is it, 
does that help you, you know, whatever happens during the day that you're able to catch up with them at night when you're able to? Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, why the wife kind of does it because I, I get home after the games. They stay up for a little bit, get to hang out with them um, before they go down. And uh, then when we wake up in the morning, I get a little bit of time with them before I head to the stadium. So uh, at the moment, that schedule works uh, for our family, which is pretty good. Nobody writes the handbook to being a parent. You just sort of learn it as you go. But how do you think you learned uh, how to be a great father? How do, how do you think that was passed down? Man, I grew up in a really good family. Um, my mom and dad were, were awesome. Uh, didn't come from a whole lot. And uh, I have three older brothers, and they, they did everything possible to make sure that we had a, an opportunity to to – just give us the best chance to be able to do what we do today. And um, we uh, we had uh, an interesting childhood and, and living in a couple different places, including the Dominican Republic, and they moved here in order for us to be able to pursue our dream of, uh, of, of being in baseball but also getting an education. And uh, so I'm grateful that they were great models as to what that looks like from a marriage standpoint. And I'm appreciative of that um, as well as what, what being a father looks like. So. That's a, I had a pretty good uh, model there for sure. That's awesome. You know, in our business of baseball, you think about all these moms and dads that are driving their kids from town to town and getting equipment and getting them where they need to be on time. It is uh, really special what, uh, what our parents have done for us. But also when you think about, you know, growing our game, just sending it out to the moms and dads out there right now, but on Father's Day, especially the dads in, in this case, how much you mean to those kids. Just, you know, it, it is important to sit back sometimes and understand that you are helping grow this game. No no doubt. And we were talking about it even with the staff this morning. And the reality is, man, a lot of these guys, uh, our, our staff, all have kids. And you, you miss so many birthdays and so many different uh, events. And um, so it's good whenever they're able to visit on the road or you get some downtime at, the, at home um, to be able to spend with them. But, uh Definitely a lot of credit to to all the staffs out there in the game because it is a it's an interesting industry and um, you got to make the most of it and, and make sure that you, you involve the family as much as possible. Absolutely, you got a bunch of great dads on that team. One of the most famous ones spun himself quite a game yesterday. Adam Wainwright went into the seventh inning for the first time. That was pretty good. Yeah, he did a nice job. And uh, first pitch. Um, leaves the yard and then he settles in and does a really nice job of, of giving us a shot. And um, he was he was good. Um, he battled through some innings, got some ground ball double plays, and made some pitches when needed. Uh, but got us deep enough where where the rest of the bullpen could come in and do their jobs. And and that was fun to watch yesterday. Yeah, he was really good. Your relievers came in and held it for him. Palante got a big ground ball, big ground ball to, to get that thing settled, and then. Skipping ahead, Jordan Hicks, I mean, Gio also, I, I can't, I don't want to skip over Gio because Gio's had his bumps in the road, but Jordan Hicks, goodness gracious. I mean, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but he looked like a closer to me. He was outstanding. I mean, a lot of growth from, from Jordan over the last several months, and this is a guy that has created some habits away from the field, at the field, in order to allow himself to be more consistent, and, and we're seeing that uh, for for quite some time now he's been really good for us and uh last night that was electric i mean he came in there hit the first batter um second guy gourmet kind of right at his feet almost hit him but then was able to calm down settle in and attack the zone and 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 punch him out but uh overall that was uh 
that was really good to see out of Jordan. It's something we're going to need moving forward. Yeah, Guillaume was in there for Lindor, who became a dad. So that's uh, another uh, story oh, intertwined, wow. you know, in this this entire weekend. And, and Hicks uh, got through that an opportunity and got the job done. And the Cardinals even that series, and now have a game today. And here comes another young player, Matthew Libertor. You know, when things aren't going well. Uh, you, I think, have to go with what you have. And you it's it's either who's there in that clubhouse or who down in the minors can help us. And Libertor yeah. had to be one of those guys. How has he been able to deliver in that way? He's adjusting well. Um, we got to remember this is he's young and he's going to continue to make uh, adjustments and develop at the highest level. Uh, but he's taken to it well. He's shown flashes of what he's capable of doing. And uh our job is to continue to hone that in and, and allow him to do that for consecutive innings and put together quality starts. And um, He's more than capable of doing that, but he's done a nice job, and we're looking forward to him being on the bump today. He will be on the mound today as the Cardinals get going at 1240. And the other one, there are a lot of young guys in this, but the other one I wanted to mention is Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker is hit in 10 straight games. This is the third longest hitting streak in baseball. Uh, Shohei Otani has hit in 14 straight. Mookie Betts has hit in 11. But then Mike Witte sent us this note this morning that Walker has now achieved two double-digit hitting streaks in the same season. He's the third Cardinal, age 21 or younger, to do that. The other ones are Albert Pujols and Rogers Hornsby. (laughs) Wow. He's doing a really nice job, um, and he's settling in. I I was able to sit with him for for quite some time, uh, two days ago, and just kind of get an idea of where he was mentally and emotionally and physically. And, and this is a guy that's um, continuing to make adjustments. He's, he's going to have to do that his entire career, but he's taken to it well. Mentally, the game's starting to slow down for him. And um, defensively, he's working hard at it. He's out there with Willie every day, working on different aspects of his outfield game. And uh, he's going to continue to improve, but but he, he's admitting that, hey, the game at times can get quick and I'm doing a much better job of, of being able to slow that down. And the more he's out there, the more at bats he gets, the slower this game will get, but he's doing a really, really nice job at the moment. Jordan Walker and the Cardinals getting ready to take on the Mets. I'm going to keep you just a, a couple minutes more. And you are the manager of the Cardinals. And one of the reasons, actually the reason the Cardinals put you in that position and have and decided that you're the best man for the job is that you could do a lot of things. You could deal with people like me in the media, uh, and you have to do that a lot. Uh, You would be able to communicate with the front office on analytics and understand that how that is streamlined into the game. You'd have to be able to understand the game itself, and you've been around the game a long time. But the other one is communication with players. And that's an important aspect of it. Being able to manage 26 guys is no easy task. They're all different. What I wanted to ask you is when things are like this, when things aren't going well, and you have player meetings, what are those like and how do you – do you do more than one in a room? Do you you speak to them individually? Does it depend on the situation with all these different people you're managing? Um, No, it's a really good question. It depends on the situation. I would say if I were to list the qualities of – of why I hold this position, it's my ability to be relational. Like the one reason I do this is is to be able to have relationships with these players and communicate clearly and make sure that we're getting the most out of them. And that's that's what drives me. That's what you wake up every morning in order to do. 
Um, but but it depends, man. Like over the last couple of days, I've I've sat down with quite a bit of our young guys and and some of our veteran guys, and, and just be able to talk to them about where they're at. And uh, some guys are just wearing this in a way where they're they're putting pressure on themselves, and, and you communicate in a way where you want to instill confidence in them and speak life into them and make sure that they understand who they are and what they're about and, and how to go about it in a way that could remove some of that pressure. And uh, it's, that's, it's typical with the young guys. They, they experience a little bit of failure, a little bit of adversity, and they, um, they're not sure how to plow through it. But um, that's the fun part of the job. And one thing that our staff does well is the ability to sit down with these guys, have a conversation, and uh, make sure that they understand that they're here for a reason. Um, I mean, yes, there, there's a lot of strategy to the game and analytics, and you can we've talked about that for hours, but the reality is we're dealing with humans that uh, operate best when they know who they are and they're playing with confidence, and um, that's what you're, you're striving for every day when you show up. So that's the part I'm passionate about. That's the part I love, and um, we'll continue to do it. And this is, um, this is where it's needed. It's easy when things are going well. It's easy to lead. It's when when it looks like this and uh, there's no real answer for it and you're having to plow through and stay the course, and um, that's where, where leadership matters. So we're wired for this, and um, we'll figure out a way out of it. Your lineup today, Donovan Goldschmidt, Arenado, Gorman, Walker, Carlson, DeYoung, Kisner, and Edmund. Uh, that tells me that Carlson was able to – well, he had an RBI single yesterday, but he was able to shake off – uh, whatever was nagging him, his elbow. Yeah, he wasn't able to throw. He was able to pinch hit yesterday. He's doing some stuff as we speak, and uh, I'll get final word if uh, if it's a go. But my hope is he's able to to stay in the lineup and uh, and play right field today. Gotcha. Appreciate the time very much. We'll let you get back to it. Thank you for the visit and happy Father's Day, Ollie. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Ollie Marmel, Cardinals manager, with us on KMOX. They've got uh, a tough task ahead, trying to get back into this thing. We'll see what they do today, and as he said, they go back on the road, and that London trip is fast approaching. We will be following that, of course, rather closely. They play tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday in Washington. Then they get two days off again as they travel across the pond, as they say, to uh, London to take on the Cubs Saturday and Sunday next weekend. We'll go to the West Coast Los Angeles Country Club with Dan Reardon, and we're going to keep an eye on the U.S. Open as it will start. I love when the U.S. Open, I love when any majors played on the West Coast, because then we get some night golf. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. That's coming up next on KMOX. 
Welcome back to the Gray Bar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Gray Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Billikens win! Billikens win! Once again, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. 10.33 on KMOX. Good to chat with Ollie Marmel once again. Cardinals manager, always better after a win, that's for sure. And good to talk with him. John Mosellock in an hour. Joining us right now is Dan Reardon, our senior golf editor. We've been doing this a long time, talking about the U.S. Open and other majors. How are you, Dan? I'm doing fine, Tom. How about you? I'm doing great. Los Angeles Country Club. Boy, everyone has an opinion uh, about L.A. Country Club, it sounds like. What do you think so far about this exclusive club hosting the U.S. Open? How have they done? I was concerned the first day because the scoring was so extreme, but I think they had a little bit of wet conditions. The courses stood up very well to the field the next couple of days. Um, Artistically, I think it's a great success. Uh, You've got a wonderful leaderboard. You have compelling stories through a number of players. So I, I would give this uh, a thumbs up in almost every category, contrary to maybe what Brooks Kepka has said. Yeah, Brooks Kepka said a couple of things. I think he, when Brooks is either joking or trying to be lighthearted, he comes off as serious. And when he's trying to be serious, he comes off as serious. Like You, you just have to, when Brooks says something, everyone seems to react. But there you go. He, he's... Hey, he's the PGA champion after all, and and he he wins a lot. So what he says gains a lot of traction. Uh, Wyndham Clark, however, jumps in last night, and I believe it was last night, and said he doesn't like these late starts. That he had trouble seeing the ball. In fact, I heard the commentators on NBC saying when Ricky Fowler was approaching 18 that it was hard to see out there. And and it has been the plan all along that the Sunday tee times will be earlier and they are quite a bit earlier so quoting st louis times the leaders uh clark and fowler which we the last group out will go off at 4 30 st louis time and i believe it was six something when they went off last night so they won't be dealing with daylight issues uh but that was purely a television decision and it's a television decision in terms of the east coast they wanted to have that broadcast into that part of the country go late into the evening to try to lock lock in an audience and it was you know, the one thing you have to know when you're watching a tournament on television, the cameras will adjust to the available daylight, and it was considerably darker than uh, than people saw it on TV. That's for sure. Meanwhile, yesterday I did watch, and there was some drama there at the end. Wyndham Clark is able to get himself uh, up and down after a very difficult shot fell off the green. Then on 18, he hits the flagstick. And still has some meat left. He's got to knock down that putt, and he does. Fist pumps. And then Ricky Fowler misses his three-and-a-half-footer, which I can relate to. I've done it a million times. Uh, but it's the U.S. Open. It's 18. It creates a little drama here with McElroy and then Scotty Scheffler going crazy down the stretch. This is going to be a good Sunday. And, and that's why I think, you know, this course stands up particularly well. Yes, it gives up good scores. You know, Tom Kim shot 29 on the front nine. Uh, yesterday, and then came back with a two over par of 37 on the second night. At Aaron Hills, when they set all the records, the four-day records for a U.S. Open championship, nobody ever went backwards on that leaderboard. Nobody ever bogeyed holes. They just made birdies or pars. Here, as you see, when people get in trouble, they get in serious trouble. And a better example, no better example than that than the first hole yesterday was Andrew Shoffley hitting three shots 
out of the bunker on the very first hole. So I, I think a good golf course is one is is one that rewards and punishes, and L.A. Country Club rewards and punishes. And, Tom, I go back, oh, 20 years ago or so when I played there. I thought it was a wonderful course at the time, and the setting is unparalleled in the game of golf. Absolutely. I, I am uh, really blown away by Clark and what he's been able to do here, and now I'll really see what he's made of against these big names. But uh, Wyndham Clark, if people are wondering who he is, he's been a good player. And then he comes out and wins his first PGA Tour uh, victory earlier this year, the Wells Fargo. And that changes things, doesn't it, for a player? You can just see the confidence and the fire in his eyes. And, and fire is really a good term. And he was asked about, you know, the, uh, the reaction to the uh, second shot that he hit in on nine where he gave the club a decided twirl. And he said that typically he said, no, I, that's the way I am inside, but I'm generally not that way outside. But he's, he is a pretty intense individual. And you have to understand, he may be new to this position on the leaderboard, but he's no youngster by any means. He's been out there for a number of years. It took him a long time to get that breakthrough win. And now that he has it, you know, he will be a legitimate, although tested, unknown on this leaderboard. By the way, Tom, there is, you always look for a St. Louis connection. And there is, actually is a St. Louis connection in the final group. You know, after his round yesterday, Ricky Fowler was asked about, the water container that he carries all the way through the golf course. And uh, he said, you know, he, he does that because it forces him to drink water and he needs to do that throughout the day. And he was asked about the stickers because there are stickers on that. Uh, that. What's his favorite sticker? And his favorite sticker is a light bulb. And that light bulb, he said, was for a St. Louis Burry side project uh, that he thinks is a pretty cool place. So, you know, at least one brewery has a positive endorsement going out there on their product. Oh, I like that side projects. Unbelievable. Side project is in Maplewood, and it. Uh, look, I don't want to. I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I'll say it's in the photo for best in St. Louis. It is unbelievable, but it's small and exclusive, and I think people come into town just to hit some of our small places like Side Project. I like that a lot. Uh, the, this is going to be fun to watch. It certainly is. That said, I, I will admit I mentioned Kepka. I personally, I like Kepka because he won the PGA Championship here in St. Louis, and and I enjoy having some. He's not that he's a villain, but he's you know he's different than everybody else. I like his mentality. Maybe this comes from watching Full Swing and kind of getting invested in what he's dealing with mentally. So I kind of like Kepka. I used to really like Dustin Johnson, and I will admit that since he went to live, I've changed my view. And I know that the two are coming back together, PGA Tour and Live, and. I probably should get over it, but I still have, maybe I'll get through this, Dan, the players that left, I'm going to have to warm back up to. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the case for the players as well. Uh, they are friends, but there's, there's animosity that still exists. There's a little resentment that still exists. So yeah, it'll take time. The key to that will be what are the terms of readmission for these players that left to, to go to LIV. And, and if those are acceptable, to the, uh, the remaining tour players, I think it'll be a short-lived kind of uh, honeymoon that they will have uh, when they get back. But like I said, those, those factors need to be determined. And, and I talked about stories, Tom. You know, the, obviously you would expect the top four to produce this winter, although we know this golf course gives up great scores. So the guys that are sitting a ways back think they can go out and put up a number. But I think the m- most compelling stories out there are both Fowler and McElroy. McElroy is the most accomplished of the group and has the four majors but you know for hollywood for a southern california guy 
Ricky Fowler winning this, coming back from the kind of adversity he's faced over the last four years, I would think would be exactly a Hollywood ending. I don't know that he's really positioned to do that. He's been backing up every day in terms of uh, his scores. So I'm I'm not sure that he can deliver the goods. But I, I think the Ricky Fowler story, and he said yesterday, he said, one thing I can tell you, he said, I know what disappointment feels like. I know what failure feels like. I've learned that over the last four years. And I'm not worried about going out tomorrow worrying about failure. I'm going to just go out and play golf. And I, I think Ricky has had all the right notes in his pro- post-tournament comments. Mm, I like that. That's really good. I, I have uh, a lot of feelings for Fowler in that way. And and again, I'm you know not supposed to be rooting for somebody necessarily, but it is a great story without question. Fowler's kind of like the Blues and McElroy's like the Cardinals. You know, McElroy's won the championships. When is he going to do it again? Uh, before the Blues uh, won their cup, obviously. That's that's Ricky Fowler, and he's got a legion of people kind of pulling for him. We'll see what ends up happening here. I got to say, though, uh, you know, I mentioned DJ at 500. Shoffley got out to a blazing start, and he's 500. They're not out of it necessarily, and neither is Harris English. I mean, he kind of hung around. He shot 30 on the front. Uh, to finish off a 66. I mean, he's right there, isn't he? Absolutely. You know, like I said, the statistic would say that you're not going to come for more than three back in most cases. But then all we have to do is look at last year, uh, a come from behind winner and Matt, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who wasn't playing in the final group. But yeah, I would, I would think that you could, given the quality of those players, the Johnson, the Shopleys, the English, I think you can look at people at five under and say, the, the two leaders at 10 under are going to be under enormous pressure to even stay at that position. That if you could go out and throw a really strong number at the field or, uh, reasonably early, you could deliver the goods. And by the way, there is that other odd connection that uh, the final group are both Oklahoma State golfers. And in fact, Ricky Fowler sort of big brothered uh, uh, Wyndham Clark when they were at Oklahoma State because it was years apart. And, and they actually are putting with the exact same putter that uh, Clark asked Fowler about his putter because he practiced with it one time. And uh, he loved it so much, he went to the manufacturer and said, I want exactly the same specs on my putter that Ricky Fowler has. And they're both putting with the identical club. Wow. They got that big grip. A bit. I don't yeah, know. What, Does that help? I, I guess. It, it, negates, it negates the hands. It, it reduces wrist action. Uh, and uh, Fowler was always a good putter. It's sort of interesting that he's gone to a little bit of a crutch in this circumstance. Interesting stuff. Dan, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the U.S. Open, and we'll hear a couple of your reports tomorrow morning on Total Information AM. I enjoyed it, Tom. Thank you. I also wanted to bring in Nick Ragone of the Ascension Charity Classic, who is on the line. And, Nick, I wanted to ask you, by the way, happy Father's Day. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, this is wonderful. You know, listening to Dan's conversation, um, I love that St. Louis connection, by the way. And I I think this is one of those uh, U.S. Opens where somebody could come from behind in the pack. You know, there's a lot of birdies on this course and a lot of bogeys. But I look at DJ, where he is, I actually like that spot a lot. He gets out early. He can go 30 on that front nine. That front nine is very gettable. I wouldn't be shocked if he puts up a number. And so I think it's going to be one of those opens. It's going to feel more like the back nine at the Masters, where there's a lot of birdies, a lot of eagles, and a lot of bogeys. Absolutely. I mentioned uh, Harris going 30 on the front nine. That was in round two. He certainly is capable of doing that again. So this is going to be a lot of fun uh, here in this final round. I wanted to bring you in because I didn't. I personally haven't had a chance to chat with you uh, about the PGA Tour live 
uh, unification, let's say, although we're not really sure what the parameters of that are. Exactly. The the term is it's a merger between the PGA Tour and the public investment fund. So it's not a merger between the PGA Tour and LIV. And I know it's semantics, but it's not. LIV is a brand may or may not live on. So what the tour is doing is they're forming NUCO. They haven't named it yet. And it's going to be the PGA Tour, which is going to then get investment from the PIF, the public investment fund, which is Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. And then underneath that NUCO will be the DP World Tour. The PGA Tour is still a nonprofit, a a 506c3. And then maybe or maybe not the LIV brand or some other form of that. So and I think that's important because for me, as a PGA Tour partner, the first thing I thought about when I saw the announcement was, is it going to change the tour's nonstop profit status? Because as you know, Tommy, we created this event to give back money to charity. We set a record amount in the first three years. That's the whole point of it. And so the answer to that is yes, the tour itself will stay nonprofit, but there will be a new co, which is going to get an infusion of money from the public investment fund. And I think the PGA Tour is going to have to, Dan said, we need to see details on this. I don't have the details. Nobody has the details. And so it's yet to be determined. But the most important thing from my perspective is that the tour properties like PGA Tour champions stay nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, the whole point of what you're doing here is to help St. Louis and North County specifically. Uh, Nick, we're going with us. And I, while I was overseas, I read your column, well, Ben Fredrickson's column that he wrote yeah. about you and about the the PGA Tour champions and everything, but also the Ascension Charity Classic, and, and you painted also a positive picture in that there's a chance some big names could be coming to see Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and I agree with your and Danny's conversation was interesting about, you know, you having to warm back up to DJ. And I, I in talking to some of the players, I don't think there's as much animosity among the players as there is in the media, you know, the DJ and Phil, they still play at Grove 23 yeah. with, uh, with Rory and Brooks and all those guys, they see each other. But for me, the champions tour potentially not this year, but next year, Phil will be eligible again. And Lee Westwood, by the way, who turned 50 and he's a major star. And so it really comes down to what is the reapplication process back to the PGA tour look like for guys who renounced their membership and and guys like Phil, who not only renounced it, but sued the tour and has said a lot of derogatory things. I think his path back, Tom, is going to be different than DJs who didn't sue the tour, who didn't say a lot of derogatory things, who's well-liked, Cam Smith too. So there will be a process, but the net net is that, look, for the game of golf itself, this schism hurt, right? Having a global schism hurt. For the PGA Tour champions, the potential to have people like Phil and Lee Westwood. And by the way, Ian Poulter turns 50 and Sergio and Martin Keimer. A lot of big names that are going to turn 50 soon. And so having that schism solved is a good thing. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for me is does the tour remain a nonprofit? The answer to that is yes. Am I able to give all our proceeds back to charity? The answer to that is yes. Are they going to still invest in communities and title sponsors who are committed to underserved communities? The answer to that is yes. Now, yes. Now, I obviously, we all want to see the details, and there are no details yet on this because they had to do the deal in secrecy to get it done. And I understand that. And, you know, unfortunately, Jay Monahan is now out on medical leave, and we wish him well. But we need to see details on the plan going forward. Really interesting perspective. I know that you are involved in a lot of those back channels and understanding what's really going on. So thank you for that. I appreciate it, Nick. No, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation with you and Dan. It's going to be a great Sunday, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, including you, Tom. Thank you. Good to hear from you again. Nick Ragone, Ascension Charity Classic, with us on KMOX. It's 1049, back right after this. It's the great American pastime, baseball. Come on, now bear down, though. 
It's not just a game invented for athletes who can run from home to first in four seconds, or throw a ball 90 miles an hour, or hit a ball over the fence. It's a game made for kids and played by kids and those who still have a lot of little kid inside them. And it's more than just a game. More than anything else, baseball is memories. pressed between the pages of my mind. It's Lou Gehrig's farewell speech at Yankee Stadium, echoing in the minds of everyone who was there. I consider myself... Or wishes they had been there. On the face of the earth. It's Bobby Thompson's dramatic ninth-inning home run against Brooklyn, and the memory of Russ Hodges' play-by-play. It's every kid who ever went to bed with a transistor radio tucked beneath their pillow listening to the game and pretending to be asleep when their parents came in to check on them before the parents went to their own bedroom to finish listening to the game. Even more than all that, it's our own memories of our own field of dreams. We are all Kevin Costner playing catch again with his departed father. That's why, to me or any other baseball fan, the story isn't about baseball or cornfields or a wish come true. It's about family. The real pull is father-child. Throughout this century, baseball has grown into a painless means of bringing abrasive generations together smoothly. Remember how much fun it was to hit your dad's pitching and watch while he chased the ball? It's not often the parent does the chore for the child anymore. As a teenager, it was a relief to use the ballpark as a demilitarized zone during generation gap hostilities over politics, grades, clothes, cars, haircuts, music. As a young adult, talking baseball was a reliable way to cut through long absences put a homecoming on solid, diamond-hard ground. Now, as we become parents ourselves, the force of these signposts can be doubled as we go through the same drills with our children. There is certainly something unique about baseball that produces these happenings. The father-child bond could be welded over cards or car mechanics. What is special about an activity like baseball is that so many families have been tied to it for so many decades. It has been and still remains the most common denominator for most of us. Remember the kid who was so thrilled to get his first baseball bat at Christmas? He couldn't wait to take it outside and play Pepper. He held it as carefully as a Nintendo joystick, took a couple of practice swings and clicked on a smile that would light up an Iowa cornfield at midnight. Then he fungoed an easy grounder to his old man, who was wearing a battered catcher's mitt given to him so many years ago by his father. Baseball is the smell of leather, the crack of the bat, the bumpy cushion of grass, and the roar of the crowd. Hot dogs, beer, soda, popcorn, peanuts, cracker jacks. It's the souvenir pendant of your favorite team that still hangs on the wall. It's the voices of our childhood companions filtering through our pillows from that transistor radio. 
The list is a litany of men with that talent for letting us see in our own mind what was happening on the field. Red Barber, Ernie Harwell, Vince Scully, Harry Carey, Gabby Street, Bob Prince, Lindsey Nelson, Joe Garagiola, Kurt Gowdy, Ned Martin, Ray Scott, Bob Elson, Gene Elston, Jack Quinlan, Earl Gillespie, Jimmy Dudley, Jack Rainey, Mel Allen, Jack Brickhouse, Graham McNamee, and even our 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. What made all these memories was the sum of all those baseball sensations, divided by two, a father and his child. There is still nothing anywhere to beat it. I don't know about you, but I'd give anything to play catch just one more time with my dad. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.